1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we this morning get to study verses 20 uh, through 40. And if I were to give the study a title, I would call it What Should and Should Not Take Place in Our Church Services. Now, of course, this is not exhaustive. This is not everything about every church service. But we know that in this book, Paul is dealing with the way the Corinthians were misusing, abusing, they were confusing the gift of tongues. Uh, They weren't loving each other, looking to build others up. They were pretty much just infatuated with themselves, infatuated with the gift of tongues. And so when you were to go to the service there in Corinth, there was complete disorder and, and chaos. And so, you know, it's interesting in studying this. One of the things you'll discover in Christianity is that there's no, there's no biblical mandate as far as the exact format that needs to happen in, in every service, you know, in every Christian get-together. You know, as time grows on, um, eventually we know that churches develop some sort of liturgy, some sort of format, some sort of order in our services. Uh, of course, though, in that we're going to see it today. We always have to be open to the Spirit of God while being submissive to the Word of God. You know, especially when it comes to spiritual gifts. We have to be guided by God. And so Paul, he he writes this, and he really wants the church to know these things, okay? And look what he says there in verse 20. He says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Or as one translation puts it, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding in matters of this kind. You see, we're not to be childish in church practices and the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, we need to understand they're not toys to play with. They're tools to build with. And so we really need to know how to use these tools. You know, Paul says it's okay to not know the ins and outs of evil things, you know, the worldly things, the malicious things. But when it comes to church precepts and church practices, let's be sure to be mature. And that's why I encourage you to really just saturate yourself in the scriptures. We live, we live in the land of lies. This right here is God's truth to our hearts. You know, the, the Greek word here translated malice, it means wickedness, depravity, evil. Things that actually hurt others. And so Paul is saying, listen, you don't have to be smart when it comes to that stuff. We don't even necessarily have to be streetwise. You know, some people, they kind of pride themselves in their ability to break into a car or hotwire a car or, you know, for whatever reason, some people think it's important to know all the, all the gossip, all the juicy, juicy of the celebrities in Hollywood, you know, and even some pastors, they think it's good that they know all the latest music. They know what's in, even though it's sin. Paul here is saying, listen, you don't have to be wise in all that stuff. We don't have to stick our heads into the cesspool of society in order to be relevant. You know, I I know the line is fine, you guys, but Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so Paul says, listen, you don't have to know all that, 
But you should know this. You should know the word of God, what it teaches on the gifts of God, how they're not toys, they're tools. And it's time, he says, for us as a church to grow up and and to act our age and to learn our lessons. You know, some people, they're brand new believers. Of course, they're not going to be expected to know everything. But some have been walking with the Lord for years and really, really should know these things by now. It kind of reminds me of what we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 in verse 12. You go all the way to chapter 6 verse 1. And Paul was telling these guys that by now you should be teachers. But unfortunately you haven't grown and you need someone to come and teach you the elementaries, the ABCs of scripture. And so I encourage you to be mature. Um, one of the things, I'll maybe use this as a plug, we have our foundations in the faith class and you can talk to Henry or any of the guys that have looked at any of the ministry questionnaires. A lot of you guys don't really know doctrine. If someone were to come up to you and say, defend the doctrine of the Trinity or defend you know, the doctrine of justification by faith or tell us what do we believe on eschatology and, and end times. And at the end of the day, if someone were to come knocking at your door, you wouldn't really have the answers. And you say, well, let me call you know, my pastor or my friend or something. And, and what the Bible says, what Paul is saying, is we need to be wise in these things. I encourage you uh, to take the class. I encourage you, even if you've taken it before, if you're not real strong on these things, to sign up for it. We're getting ready to launch that next week because our heart is just for you to have what Paul is saying here. You know, the whole teaching on tongues is not just Paul's opinion. He goes on to quote uh, from Isaiah 28. Look at verse 21. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, you might remember uh, 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter and he's dealing with different issues that they are having and one of the struggles they were having was it was just chaos and, uh, and they were all talking in tongues and, and there was no teaching. And so Paul here in this section, he, he, he encourages them you know, to prophesy, uh, to speak forth God's word, to encourage one another with God's word. And then in member chapter 13, he talked about this doing it in love. I, I do this. I want to be used by God to build you up because I love you and I want you to be strong. As a matter of fact, I was even thinking that's why I want to be strong because I know my brothers and sisters are hurting and struggling and they're going through difficult times. I want to pray for them. I want to do whatever I can to encourage them. I want to give them a word to, to help them. And so we can't get sidetracked with tongues. Uh, what Paul talks about right here is interesting. And this is admittedly a very difficult section of scripture to interpret. It's so difficult that some of my favorite Bible teachers have actually said that there was a copyist error, you know. And, and so it was supposed to be worded a little differently. And, and so I'm just letting you know, it is a little challenging, but I think at the end of the day, the main things will be plain. And so we're going to see what the gift of tongues is and how it's supposed to be used and different things. But here, uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah 28, and, and he says, you know, this, that, that tongues 
uh, are uh, uh, with men of other tongues and other lips that will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. And and so you go back to Isaiah 28. It's an interesting passage. The context there really is teaching that God is giving Israel the word, line upon line, precept upon precept, but they wouldn't listen. So what he did was he allowed foreign nations to come into their land, and Israel would hear these foreign tongues. Or Israel would be taken away out of their land, and they would hear these foreign tongues. And what Isaiah is basically saying, and what Paul is saying, is that that was a sign to them. That was a sign that something significant was taking place. You see, tongues are a gift to believers, and the believer who exercises a gift, they can benefit from it, edified by it. The church can as well, as long as there is interpretation. But here Paul, he's telling us that tongues can also be beneficial to the unsaved, that it's a sign to the unsaved, that God is sometimes trying to get the attention of the unsaved. And and probably the best example of that is in the book of Acts chapter 2. Remember when the 120 were speaking in the different languages and the people from all the different places heard them speaking uh, in tongues and God did a great work there. And we see that there in Acts chapter 2. But here's the thing. In Acts chapter 2, the, the hearers understood. There was like a translation, so to speak. And that's the difference. You know, the whole thing we see there in Acts chapter 2 was a Holy Spirit sign. Hey, something's going on. Get the message. And so uh, we see that at one point. But, but what if the church today does that and an unsaved person comes in and they don't understand? Well, that's what Paul deals with next in verse 23. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, again, this scenario is much different than the day of Pentecost. This is when a non-believer comes in and does not understand a word that's being spoken. You know, on the day of Pentecost, if you think about it, two things were different. Number one, the people understood what was being spoken in their language. And then number two, Peter preached a sermon. He preached a message from the word. And so Paul here says, man, everyone's speaking in tongues simultaneously and there's no understanding, there's no interpretation in the congregation, there's no preaching of the word. And so these people, they come in and they think these Christians are really out of their minds. And so Paul here, again, contrasting it with prophecy, he says in verse 24, but if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, then he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Again, Paul, he's pushing prophecy and he says that if there's order in the service, there's the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, along with the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, then there will be conviction and opportunities for salvation. And so this is what we want in our churches, you guys. We want 
the word to go out, uh, the word of God by the spirit of God, so that the people of God would be built up and blessed and conformed into the image of God. We want the word to go out by the spirit of God so that the non-believer will come in and be saved. You know, maybe you're watching this today and you don't really know where you stand with the Lord. You don't know at the end of the day if something were to happen to you, if you were to die, whether or not you would go to heaven or hell. Well, that's why we're here. We love you because God loves you. And we want you to know that there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not that you have to work your way or earn your way into heaven. We're just telling you that he loves you, that our sins have separated us from him. And if you call on the name of Jesus right here, right now, he will write your name in the book of life and you will be saved. This is ultimately what we want. Now, maybe you're out there and you're struggling with crystal meth or maybe you're out there and you're struggling with pornography. You know, maybe there's uh, things going on in your marriage and, and it's on the rocks and you know, your wife wants to leave you or something's, one of you, one of them having an affair. You know, there's so much heartache in the world that we live in today. And our heart is that God would just come into your life and flood you with his love. You know, we, we look at a section like this and some might say, well, it has to do with pneumatology and theology and doctrine and all that stuff. But I, I want to make sure that we don't separate it from the practical things that it's because God loves you and he wants to save you. Listen, this coronavirus thing, I know most of you out there are probably thinking, well, it's not going to hit me. I, I'm good. I'm not vulnerable. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> you know, I go out sometimes and I'm thinking, okay, well, I have high blood pressure. They say that's one of the factors. Uh, they, they say that diabetes is another factor, and I don't know if it's just my imagination or not, but I feel like I'm borderline with those things. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say that, you know what, I got this. It's not even an issue, that I'm not even thinking about dying. No, I think in one sense, we have to be honest that it can happen to any of us at any time. And that's why you're watching. That's why Jesus reaches out to us. This whole thing uh, about tongues and teaching and prophesying, you may look at it and you may think it's so disconnected with the world that I live in. And yet in all reality, it's, uh, it's right in the middle of it, how God wants to save. You know, right here, Paul again is pushing prophecy and he's saying, listen, there's an order in the service you know, when you look at Acts, you know, we talked about it earlier when they spoke in tongues. You know, when it was all said and done, it says in Acts 2, 37 through 39, that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And that's what, what Paul says here in Corinthians. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive, check this out, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. See, that's what this is. It's interesting the the, the book of tongues, I mean the, the gift of tongues, is kind of like the undoing of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, when you read that, you see that God saw what was going on, how 
humanity was rebelling against him, that they were trying to build uh, this tower to reach heaven when God had told them to multiply and to fill the earth. It's kind of symbolic. Babylon is symbolic of all false religion. And so what God did in Genesis chapter 11 is God caused, a, 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 in one sense, a, a, a time where they didn't understand the languages. And so God used that to separate them because God was communicating a message that, you know, you're not going to reach heaven by your own works. So now in Acts chapter 2, there's like an undoing of Babylon. And now there's an understanding of the different languages. Now there's a unifying now it's not man trying to reach up to heaven. It's God coming down the mountain to us. And this is what this is all about. You see, the sign there in Acts chapter 2, it got their attention. And then the sermon brought the conviction. They were cut to the heart and it led to their conversion. They were convicted of the fact that they were sinners in need of a savior. And they were convinced of the cross of Jesus Christ where he died for all their sins and that day 3,000 souls were saved and were baptized. You know, I'll never forget the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can look back to it today, August 20th, 1989. I said, yes, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. And maybe today is your day if you have not yet done that. Now here in verse 25, Paul mentions the secrets of our hearts being revealed. And he's talking really about the nuances of prophecy that take place, sometimes even during preaching, but in different types of church settings or gatherings, you know. There's the word of wisdom. We saw that back in chapter 14, verse 6. Or the word of knowledge, or just the word of God. There's that prophetic aspect to it. The words of knowledge are when you're with someone, you're in the church, or it might even be from the pulpit, and they know there's this like secret things that in your heart are spoken of, the deeper things. Or, or maybe you're listening to a sermon, and you're talking to a brother, and just somehow you get the, the details on what to do. God is beginning to guide you uh, through the study. Uh, other, other times it's just the prophetic aspect of teaching uh, the word. But there's that aspect of prophecy in that in that whole setting, and, you know, I, I wasn't long ago, and I've heard this t many times throughout the years. Uh, I received a message from a brother who had never messaged me before, and he asked me to call him, and so I, I did. And when we started to talk, I discovered that he was thoroughly convinced that I was talking about him and his specific situation in the study last Sunday. That someone had spoken to me about him, and he was just thoroughly convinced. And so I, I told him, no, no one had spoken to me about him, but just that it was the Holy Spirit, and just to be open to the Holy Spirit. That no matter you know what happens, we know that he knows us intimately and personally, and he wants to lead us in one sense, in that sense, prophetically. You know, we do our best to teach God's word and to trust God to do the rest. You know, at the end of the day for us as a church, the only reason we cover these things, the only reason we continue to teach through the Bible is because we know that if we understand the scriptures, then we will be a healthy church, a holy church, and God can use us as vessels, as instruments, as tools, and even as weapons. 
I mean, isn't this what you guys want? Look again there at the end of verse 25. In verse 25, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's what we want, huh? We want people to acknowledge that in this atmosphere. Hopefully an atmosphere where we see the, the Holy Spirit moving. And one of the best ways, you guys, that the Holy Spirit moves is through love. If we come into the congregation, if we get together with the, with the Christians, and there is this atmosphere of agape love, truly God is among you. And that's what we want. And so here, it's kind of cool. It's that we want people to say this. And we want them to acknowledge God. And that's why we have to do things God's way. So Paul now, he deals with the Corinthians. And he says there in verse 26, Well, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, that each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? He says, let all things be done for edification. And we see it even today. It's kind of crazy. Even though we have the Bible and it's been all this time, we still see these things happen today. How there was there in Corinth that there was no order, just disorder. There was no teaching, only tongues. There was no spirit, only flesh. There was little love and little life. There was no liturgy, there was no leader, there was not even a worship leader. They were all singing their own songs, their own psalms. There was no teacher, they were all teaching. They were all speaking in tongues and no one was interpreting. And therefore, in the midst of this chaos, no one was being strengthened. No one was really truly being built up, rooted and grounded in what the Bible teaches. Look again there in verse... 26 how is it then brethren when each of you come together each of you has a psalm has a teaching has a tongue has a revelation has an interpretation let all things be done for edification and at the end of the day that's exactly what we want let everything to be done in order to build up god's people in verse 27 and 28 we have the proper use of tongues he says listen if anyone speaks in a tongue let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret but if there is no interpreter let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to god now you know when you look at this paul here he lays out the simplicity of how we're to exercise the gift of tongues and it could be maybe in a church service like this, or it could be maybe in an afterglow service, or it could be even you with your family after service today. You say, hey, let's get together and let's be open to the Holy Spirit. And maybe one of you, two of you, three at the most, has the gift of tongues. And so one of you speaks in tongues as you're praying, and then by the grace of God, someone interprets that tongue. Paul says this is how it's to be exercised. You know, when you, when you look at this here, clearly the context tells us that tongues are to take place in a church setting with these parameters. He, verse 29, he goes on to talk more about the services. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. 
But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And so, again, we have some details as far as how services are to be run. You know, not everyone is to be on the platform or the altar. Paul here mentions two or three prophets. Now, I will say this, they're not prophets with a capital P. They're, they're prophets uh, with a small p. They're people who prophesy with that function, not necessarily that title. You know, here, even today, we have our worship leader. That, that in one sense, is a prophet. Uh, we have another uh, servant leader who's sharing, and then the messenger or the pastor or the preacher. And so he's saying, listen, if you were to gather together even in a setting like that, or maybe even a less formal meeting, still just two or three uh, prophets or prophecies. Not everyone ends up on the platform with a microphone, but, but it doesn't necessarily mean, however, that the rest of you are just spectators or sponges Paul says something interesting here. Notice again in, in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And so this is uh, some of the details in a church service. You know, you don't have a hundred people teaching. You got two or three. Um, and then what ends up happening is you have the people in the congregation. Some of you guys out there have the gift of judging, huh? You're able to do that. No, I'm just joking. It's not a gift, okay? Um, but you do have the responsibility to test everything that is sung, everything that is spoken. That's a healthy church. Now, I remember when Paul the Apostle, he went to Berea. I mean, think about it. That This is Paul the Apostle. This is the guy that... Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus. This is the guy who knew the Bible inside and out. But when he came to Berea and he started preaching to them, it was so beautiful what the Bereans did. Is they, the Bible says that they tested everything to make sure that what he said lined up with the scriptures. And, and we're to do that, you guys. Uh, you got two or three prophets. They're, 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 they're preaching. They're they're, they're teaching as a worship leader, believe it or not. All those songs that are sung, those are, those are they're teaching aspects. You're to judge all the songs. Is, does it line up with Scripture? Does the study line up with Scripture? You know, we test the worship. We test the Word. That's what he's saying healthy churches do. You know, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, one of the concerns that I have uh, during a time like this, to be honest with you, just as a pastor who has maybe an overprotective heart, is that you're online and you're watching studies from all over the world. And a lot of times I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, the guy's not teaching the Bible. Man, there's a lot of speculation in that. There's a lot of human opinion in that. And you're getting it from all over the place. And so be careful with that. That's why it's so important for you and I to really know the Bible. And it's important for pastors to preach the Bible. And that's why our responsibility and our conviction, Pastor Chuck Smith, he gave that to us, is even though, yeah, you would like to teach a lot of different topical studies, 
Our responsibility is just to teach through the word. You know, what we find is that even, you know, for us, we don't necessarily test it because we're identifying a false prophet. The truth is any teacher can make a mistake, right? So we can't just take it hook, line, and sinker. We've got to study the scriptures and test what's being said. And it's important for us to have that in our heart. I'll be honest with you. I get blessed sometimes when I see some people out there in the flock and they're spending more of their time looking at their Bibles than they are looking at me. You don't necessarily need to see me. You need to see the scriptures. And that's why it's so cool when people have their Bible on their laps and they're listening. Yeah, they're tracking. But they're really looking at the Bible. Is that what's being taught? Is that what's being, you know, uh, elaborated on? I, I love it when I see that. We have to have that heart. First Thessalonians five nineteen through 21, it gives us that beautiful balance. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast and tight to what is true. And so that's one of the things that you do at a church service. Number one, you test. But then number two, you tell. Look again at verse 31. Notice what he says right there. He says, For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. You know, and that is probably something that can happen even after service, if you think about it. You know, you can continue the teaching, you can continue the learning, you can continue the building. I was thinking about how there were times in the Old Testament when you would have one guy who give the message, maybe it was an Ezra or someone else, and then you'd have the other guys, they would come alongside and they would elaborate, they would explain, they would answer any questions. We should do that as we're going through the word. And so verse 30 here, it tells us that we need to take turns in all this. One of the things that the Corinthians were doing was they were interrupting one another. And so in a service, there's that order, huh? There's the learning, there's a listening, there's not the distractions, not things out of order, chaos, tongues. No, there's teaching, there's testing. In verse 32, he says, And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. You know, every once in a while, you know, you might come across someone who says, I'm sorry, I just couldn't control myself. The spirit took over. And, uh, and that's not, you know, biblical. It says right here that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. If someone says, well, I lost control, then that would contradict the scriptures. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5.23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And Warren Wiersbe, he, he said this. He said, I once shared at a Bible conference with a speaker who often went 15 to 20 minutes past his deadline, which meant, of course, that I had to condense my messages at the last minute. He excused himself by saying, well, you know, when the Holy Spirit takes over, you can't worry about the clock. My reply to him was 1 Corinthians 14.32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, what we find is that in service, uh, God is the one in control. Uh, God is the one who is giving his word. We are trying to abide by the scriptures to make sure we do this according to his revealed will and submission to him because we love you 
because we want to build you up. We want to be strong. We want you to be strong. We want you to be saved. And this is why we do this. Ultimately, God is the one who's speaking, and God is not the author of confusion. Our God is a God of peace. He's a God of order. James three thirteen through 18 says that Satan is the one who's the author of confusion. And so I'm afraid to read the next verses, but I'm going to go ahead and read them to you. It says in verse 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, I have a lot of jokes that I could share at this point, but I am going to hold back because I don't want you guys to get mad at me. But it's so important that we take this in context. Earlier, Paul spoke of women praying and prophesying, and so he doesn't forbid it. He simply says that she has to have her head covered. He talked about that earlier in the book, and so that was the culture of Corinth. But she was allowed to pray. She was allowed to prophesy. And so the silence here doesn't mean that she's forbidden to ever speak publicly in a church service. As a matter of fact, it was kind of cool. If you guys didn't catch the study from last Thursday, probably my favorite part about the whole study on Thursday was the very end when Desiree shared a little message from the Bible, a little word of encouragement that brought me to tears. And so believe you me, that's not what he's talking about right here. You know, what he's talking about is how in those days, the men would sit on one side and the women on the other side. And I think we should start doing that again. Uh, The husbands on one side, the wives on the other side, and the single people in the middle. That's what I was thinking. We're going to do that when we come back to service. No, I'm just joking. Anyways, (laughs) back then it was the men on one side, the women on the other side. And the women, when they were listening to the study they would ask their husbands, hey, what does he mean by that? Or some theologians even believe that they would, you know, talk loud and say, no, I don't agree with that teaching. And so what Paul here is saying is let the women not do that during service, you know, not interrupt. You know, wait until you get home and then ask your husbands. Now, the interesting thing about it is this. In those days, the men, they were really well-schooled in the Bible they, were, they would know the Bible better than their wives, for the most part, generally speaking. Now, nowadays, to be honest, it's probably the other way around, man. There's a lot of women who know the Bible better than their husbands, and their husbands would be the one asking questions, huh? It would be kind of like that. And so, really, at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is that there, there can't be that type of interruption. There has to be an atmosphere, not only of love, but of learning. And so, ladies, whatever you do, don't, you know, hashtag me too. I just, you know, saw this, you know, study and whatever. No, man, uh, the women are permitted to speak. Of course, Paul, in 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14, he says we're not permitted to uh, be a pastor he even goes on to say they have a a greater role and responsibility and that is to be a homemaker and there's a lot to it and god has different responsibilities for all of us but what we're finding is that this whole atmosphere of the church and 
and the liturgy and the order and the format and not chaos and not tongues, but teaching, all of that is because we love you. And we don't want interruptions. Uh, that's why even here at Calvary Chapel, one of the things we'll do is we'll have the kids in their classroom because it's hard for them when they're little ones to sit still in, 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 in a sanctuary in a setting like this. And so we're sensitive to them. We're like, hey, go, let them go to their class and, and have a little fun and maybe have a snack and learn at their level. All of that is because of what we're reading right here. Now, I'm not sure exactly how the Corinthians would take what Paul is, is sharing with them. If you read 2 Corinthians, you'll find that, generally speaking, most people did uh, acknowledge him, but there was a minority that didn't. So he had to write another letter to them. But here Paul is just getting ready for that. He's embracing that not everyone's going to receive him and what he's saying. Look what he says there in verse 36. Uh, uh, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He's saying, man, I pray that you guys don't think that you're the authority. Paul knew by the grace of God that he had been commissioned to be an apostle. And so what he does is he shares these things with them. He says, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, in verse 39, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. And that's the, the beautiful balance, you guys. Let all things be done. Let us not hinder the Holy Spirit. Let's not say, well, the gifts are not for today. Yes, they are for today. There is no biblical proof that the gifts have ceased. I think that we as a church, especially in Calvary Chapel, we need to be open to the gifts because we say we believe in them intellectually, but sometimes I wonder if we believe in them practically. And so let all things be done. God, open the windows of heaven and move by the power of your spirit. Let all things be done. But, Paul says, let it be done decently and in order. And here we learn how tongues work, how a prophecy works, how the congregation, they test everything and then they tell others. I mean, it's so cool to see um, the way that Paul summarizes everything let all things be done don't hinder the spirit of god we want all that he has to offer but let it all be done in submission to his scriptures and so i pray you guys as a church that we're we're continuing to have that heart you know that we would come out of this uh, trial and it is a trial and god is shaking everything up that we would come out stronger you know, one of the things that I know the Lord has been laying on my heart is just to be in the Word, uh, to be in prayer, and to make sure that I'm living my Christianity at home. At home. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, we're doing, we're experiencing what we're experiencing is God, that God really wants that, you know, to take place. And so... Uh, church, um, be encouraged. Um, we're, we're, you know, missing you so much. 
we're, we're praying for you more than ever probably because I feel like right now in, in one sense that's all I can do but but I pray uh, that as a church we're open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit you know I was thinking if you're out there and I don't know what's going on in your life but maybe you're out there and you feel alone you feel like uh, this is too much for you and you really don't have any support I want to encourage you to, to reach out to us, uh, text us, call us, and we'll, we'll you know, help you. We'll, we'll mentor you. We'll disciple you. We've got pastors who would be willing to pour into you just in case you're out there and you feel all alone. But I was also talking to the Lord about this, and I was thinking more than likely what God is doing is this is intentional is because he wants to minister to them. And so make sure you really draw near to God, my friend, my brother, my sister. Draw near to God. Seek Him more than you ever have in your whole life. You know, we don't know if this is it. It it might be. I think I would be wrong as a pastor to tell you that, yeah, it's okay, we got plenty of time. No, these are signs. So church, uh, seek Him. Know He loves you. And if you're out there and you're not a Christian and you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our prayer, and right now everybody's praying, is that you would open up your heart. You know, it's so amazing. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20 that Jesus knocks at the door. And that is a passage that's intended for the church, but it's applicable to anybody that if you can visualize it, he's knocking at the door of your heart. All you have to do is open up say Lord come in and when he comes in he'll dine with you he'll fellowship with you he'll save you he'll forgive you he'll give you strength and we all need that